0: Good afternoon. It's Monday the 10th of January 2022, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish, and we're delighted to be joined by David Scott, bringing us northern exposure from north of the border.
1: And a special guest who we will introduce in one second. It's a bit
0: misty outside. It Brian. is a bit misty, indeed. It's a bit like the political situation in UK. Yes. Uh, okay,
1: so uh, the Let's uh, welcome David straight away. We've got a guest coming on a little later to give a, uh, a presentation, but uh, maybe you'd like to introduce her.
2: Yes, um, a little while ago, um, I, I did an interview with Katie Jo Murphy, who uh, had become known to the column uh, because she'd done a Dolly Parton impersonation, uh, singing um, a variant of Dolly's pro-vaccine song, which was somewhat more skeptical. Um, at a, a demonstration in London. Now, this uh, discussion, one hour discussion about about Katie Jo's views and her song, uh, was so threatening to the system that it was in fact removed from YouTube and banned and, and, and hidden. Although I see it's it's uh, popped up again on um, brand new YouTube. I think someone's done a copy of it, so thanks whoever has done that. We'll make sure it's back up in another system um, before the day is out so that people can see it, um, and so that was, that was Katie Joe's first song in the uh, area of protest and op- opposing, opposing the government narrative, um, and it was inspired by um, the fact she had been a Dolly Parton fan, and she was very uh, shocked at the unthinking pro-vaccine stance uh, that that particular artist took. Um, She's been inspired again and has produced another song,
3: uh, which we have for you now. Here we go again One more attempt to take your freedom forever Another made up strain, Omnicron is the name It's time to unite and stand together And we're partying if they lock us up again. Just say no.
1: Okay, thanks for that, David. Now, uh, look, just before we uh, we uh, come back to you, um, there is a Daily Mail article appeared on Saturday. I think it was Saturday. Uh, if we can just put that one on screen. Uh, and the headline was, uh, uh, Millions are following anti-vaxxer lies. Uh, probe reveals a vast influence of social media posts uh, that Chris Whitty says misled many of those now fighting COVID in hospital. Uh, and, uh, well, who was uh, featuring? Uh, but Kitty Jo herself. So maybe at this point uh, I could welcome Kitty Joe onto the programme uh, and just say, uh, Kitty Jo, uh, have you, what are your thoughts just very briefly on this? Uh, uh, well, what can only be described as a hit piece in the mail?
4: Um, I'm extremely proud um, to be in the mail on Sunday uh, with the likes of Dr. Vernon Coleman. And the amazing lawyer Anna—I can never uh, pronounce her second name—Du Boisset. Um, yeah, I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm extremely proud to be in there, and and I've always stood—I've—I've I've always stood by my opinions, um, and always been—never uh, been afraid to actually speak my my mind. So, yeah. So it was—it was a—it was—it was, it was a shock. But I—well, I, I kind of knew it was coming um, because uh, Friday they had visited my my dad. Um, my dad had a knock on the door obviously digging for a story so uh so yeah so like i, I kind of knew it was it was coming from friday uh but it's always a shock isn't it to be in in a in a in a, in a newspaper like that yeah. so uh yeah yeah um, okay. i i loved yeah
1: okay brilliant well look uh thank you very much for that Now we will be coming back to you a little bit later in the program so stay with us and uh, but let's move on uh to uh, some more serious stuff now and uh, well here's the office for national statistics uh, I just wanted to uh, have another look at what the ONS is doing with with deaths data, because of course, at the end of the day, the only uh, the only statistics that can't really be fiddled with are all cause mortality. You know, we've either got a dead body or we don't. Uh, but is that true? Because actually, it seems the ONS is doing quite a bit of fiddling with it. So uh, here is uh, their weekly report: deaths registered weekly in England and Wales, provisional. And this is the, uh, the latest report, which is for the week ending 24th of December, 2021. Um, and uh, one of the graphs that uh, the ONS traditionally uh, produced in this report uh, was this one, the place of death in England and Wales. Um, and this appeared in that report. And we showed this, this graph uh, quite a number of times on the, on the news programme uh, as, as the data, new, as, sorry, as new data appeared. Uh, but they dropped this graph from the uh, report now uh, for about the last three, four reports. I think November was the last one where they showed this. And the reason I was interested in showing this uh, report uh, was the bottom left here, there, the, the number of people, the, the amount of excess mortality, because that's what this graph is showing, uh, excess mortality uh, based on where that excess mortality occurred. Um, and you know, if you look at the top left of that graph, you can see excess mortality in hospitals. And you see that in the summer, uh, of 2020, and in the summer of 2021, uh, there was below average mortality in hospitals. It's the same for care homes. And although there were peaks in the in the winter, uh, in the winters of those two years, there was that below average mortality uh, for the rest of the time, as you might expect. But if you look at where at people dying in their own homes, uh, that uh, that reduction during the summer months never happened. We had excess mortality right through. 2020 and right through 2021. And nobody is addressing this issue. And I suspect that's one of the reasons why this graph has been dropped because it's about time somebody looked at it now. They do produce another, uh, report, uh, and, uh, and it's about place of death specifically. Uh, and in that they talk or they show, uh, the numbers of people that are dying of various problems. Uh, so we get to see a breakdown of who is dying in their own homes. Uh, and if we look at males, I'm not going to look at the female numbers because they're they're more or less the same. Um, the top of the, or at least on the first on the list here is for heart diseases. Uh, so uh, in 2020, there were 17,852 people died from heart related problems, uh, and the five year average is 15,035. Uh, so that's 18% rise above the average. Then we've got a whole load of cancers, uh, malignant neoplasm of the trachea and the lung, malignant neoplasm of the Prostate, uh, chronic lower respiratory disease, uh, various other malignant neoplasms, as we start looking down through the list of this. Uh, and at the bottom of the list, we find COVID-19. And COVID-19 is a very small proportion of the total number of people uh, in uh, that, that have been uh, that are considered excess mortality uh, dying in their own homes. So COVID-19, according to the ONS, very small proportion. So the question is then why are people dying in their own homes from all these other problems? And my argument is and has been for two years now that it's because the NHS was completely turned uh, 180 degrees away from providing healthcare, general healthcare from people uh, to providing specific healthcare for one particular thing. Uh, And they also produce uh, another graph which I think is even more stark because this is showing deaths registered in private homes from 2001 until 2021. Now, they don't have statistics for uh, for the whole year. If you look at the two blue lines at the top, uh, these are statistics for the whole 12 months of each year. So uh, 2021, you can see that uh, there's no data for because they haven't gathered that yet. So the latest is 2020. But if we just look at the 2020 numbers, uh, 2019 numbers first, uh, it shows that there were 128,918 people totally died in their own homes. Uh, as opposed to the five-year average of 122,389. One year later, uh, we find that it's uh, 166,000 for people dying in their own homes, as opposed to the five-year average of 125,000. That is massively significant. Um, and if we're looking at uh, COVID deaths, and the government is claiming that X number of people in 2020 died of COVID deaths, uh, and we find that, in fact, if you compare that to what happened in people's own homes, where the vast majority of I mean, 95, 96, possibly more percent of people died of non-COVID related issues uh, as a result of not receiving healthcare, uh, And this is, continues now. So here's the latest uh, number of deaths registered by week. Uh, England and Wales, 20th of December 2019 to 24th of December 2021. And if you look at the bottom right hand corner, or the right hand side of that graph, let's just zoom in on it a little bit. Uh, The dark blue sections are people that are attributed deaths that are attributed to COVID-19 and the sort of teal color are deaths that are attributed to other causes and we can see that since what is this since the middle of last year, July or so last year, uh, we have significant excess mortality going on and at least 50% of it is non-COVID related. So um, the questions aren't really being asked. Of the government about why people are dying in this way, uh, the kinds of numbers that are involved, um, and what they're going to do about it, but it, the NHS is not providing a service.
0: No, well, there's so many questions to be answered, asked, Mike, and this is one of the key things that's not happening across the media. We're not seeing any dialogue um, between. Qualified people over the statistics in the same way we're not getting any medical debate. And if you say, why is that taking place? Because the government doesn't want the debate. Because if the debate was to be had, the truth would come out. It's it's as simple as that.
1: Uh, and so, David, uh, here we have another sports person uh, affected by the vaccine.
2: Uh, we do indeed. Um, now, this is a uh, triple vaccinated Swiss marathon. Record holder and Olympic athlete uh, Fabienne Schlump, uh, she was diagnosed with myocarditis and may never able m- may never be able to compete again. Um, this is one of so so many um, athletes that we see um, suffering severe problems or um, sadly uh, often death. There's been some hundred and eight athletes. A uh, recent Israeli study showed that have. Uh, that have died um, suddenly um, in the last uh, year and a half or so. Uh, and this is this is completely unprecedented. This was formerly an exceptionally rare thing. A study of American college football, sorry, college sports, all college sports in America, was finding that in 36 years, there were 44 sudden deaths of athletes. So just over one a year, it was exceptionally rare. It's not rare anymore. Um, we've uh, we've been following the uh, Djokovic uh, issues as he tries to compete in the Australian Open. And I saw a, a, a quite uh, dastardly attack on him by the BBC for his wrong think. What does Djokovic say about vaccines? That's all they were interested in. Um, they weren't interested in the fact that he has... Uh, a hugely lucrative and important career, and he's at the top of his top of his uh, career, uh, and he knows the the threats uh, because uh, Jeremy Chardy, who's world number twenty five tennis player, may never play again. Uh, after uh, receiving the COVID vaccine. He attributes that to the COVID vaccine and says he deeply regrets getting the vaccine. Why did the BBC not report that? Because we're not meant to know, we're not meant to paint Djokovic as someone who's rational and making sensible decisions about his own health and his own body. We've got to present him as some sort of um, fool or extremist or conspiracy theorist, which is the way that the Mail was trying to present Katie Joe at the weekend. Um, now, um, the uh, figures on um, myocarditis are stunning. Uh, we see here from Open VAERS in America, uh, myo pericarditis reports. The the big red lines are age group lines. So this is this is single age one year age groups, uh, and we've got up to nearly three hundred and fifty reports of 18-year-olds, you see the, um, the, the the risk is disproportionately in the young, uh, the fit and the healthy, and the almost invisible blue lines, if you squint very carefully, if you freeze the screen and blow it up, you'll just see the, the blue lines down the bottom. That was the previous reports of uh, pericarditis due to the flu jab. So this is enormous and completely unprecedented, and of course, the governments and the mainstream media are trying to conceal it by just saying nothing about it. Uh, it seems to be even worse after the second jab. Uh, this next uh, next graph, again, from open VAERS, um the blue lines are post first do- dose, myo and pericarditis, and the red lines, which are generally higher, particularly in the young, are post second dose. So it seems to get worse the more often you're jabbed. Um, and the final graph we have here from you is absolutely stunning. Uh, This is uh, year-by-year reports in VAERS, which is the vaccine database, vaccine injury database in America, of myelin pericarditis. And the the, the graphs are basically invisible up until 2021, and when it suddenly shoots from almost nothing, up to 25,000 reports. The, that, this shows there is a huge problem with the vaccine. This is what VAERS is for. This is why this database was set up as an early warning of trouble. It is beyond blinking red. It's all sorts of alarms are going off and they are being ignored. Uh,
1: yes. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's come on to this then because here is uh, the government's latest advertising campaign launched today. Uh, And uh, it's all about uh, making sure that uh, pregnant women are boosted. Um, So uh, it reduces the risk of my baby being born prematurely. Apparently don't wait until baby arrives, get vaccinated now is the message. I had the flu vaccine and the COVID-19 booster is this one. So uh, this lady of course gets two colored lines around her. Um, But David, uh, again, (laughs) you're talking about uh, the, the red flags being ignored. Um, but it's actually much worse than that, isn't it? Because, well, let's have a look at NHS Glasgow and Clyde here and their updates uh, for pregnant women.
2: Yes, so we looked at the figures. The, the, the safety studies in pregnant women are limited, to put it mildly. Uh, but the the CDC and others in America said, eh, it's all fine, there's nothing to see here. But they were basically looking at the rates of spontaneous abortion, of miscarriage. Um, but they weren't correcting for the fact that their study only looked at, well, looked predominantly at women in the second and third trimester, and not um, mostly in the first trimester. If you corrected for this, it showed at, at very least a two and a half-fold increase in in uh, miscarriage. And uh, it's astonishing that this was. I can't believe they, they didn't know. I can't believe that, that 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 we would do do an analysis that they wouldn't think of. It must just be hidden. It's, it's tremendous. Now, um, this next um, thing from Greater Glasgow and Clyde um, is a, a, a warning, and they've used a, a very angry red colour uh, COVID-19 coronavirus information updates. Um, and uh, they, 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 sent, uh, they, they direct you towards uh, their own website for an update on information relating to fertility treatment. And this is very strange. So um, firstly, note the way that they actually make the case here. So they they say the Scottish government's chief medical officer wrote to uh, chief execs in the NHS highlighting updates from the Joint Committee on Vaccination, uh, who who have said that pregnant women are now a high-risk group. So this is very low grade. This is a statement of opinion. This is not science. This is not data. This is a statement of opinion. In addition, they say, the latest evidence um, from or the, the obstrectic uh, surveillance system um, has said that unvaccinated pregnant women in the babies have, have died after admission to hospital with COVID-19, with COVID, not from COVID, and 98% of pregnant women in ICU with COVID-19 are unvaccinated. Well, most pregnant women are unvaccinated at this point, so... That doesn't necessarily mean very much, but it's certainly certainly a figure uh, selected to generate as much anxiety as possible. And then they go in light of this and the Omicron variant, which is spreading through communities, which again ignores the issue about how dangerous it is or isn't. uh, They've decided to suspend all fertility treatment unless you are vaccinated. You and your partner, incidentally, are vaccinated. And they then go into some some, uh, frequently asked questions, and some of those are stunning. How long will it be deferred or postponed as treatment? Until February 2022, and then we'll review it. So maybe forever, we don't know yet. If the risks risks are in pregnancy, why does my partner's status matter? If your partner gets infected, you will be exposed to the risk of infection. Bear in mind that the vaccines are meant to work. But yeah, but, but never mind. Uh, if you are confirmed contact, you will then need to isolate and be unable to attend for monitoring and treatment. So their policies will disrupt the treatment. Therefore, the treatment's cancelled. Right. And item three is a stunner. It's a personal choice to get vaccine to get the vaccine. To get va- well, actually this shows you the quality of the, 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 the production here. It's our personal choice to get vaccine, vaccinate. <laughs> vaccinated it should be. Uh, why are you forcing us to get vaccinated? And the, the response is, it's still your personal choice as to whether you have the vaccine. All we are saying is that we cannot proceed with treatment without evidence of vaccination due to the risks involved. So we will exclude you from fertility treatment, but we're not forcing you to get vaccinated. Oh, no, quite quite the reverse. Um, and then... Um, Uh, I quite like number five, I am self-funding. Why does this policy policy apply to me? Doesn't matter if it's NHS or private, we're not going to do it. We're gonna follow the government's diktat. Um, And will there be further deferral? Well, we don't know. We'll have a look at the data in February and we'll decide whether we're going to treat you. So that's the the nature of the pressure that's been applied to uh, people who want to uh, get fertility treatment uh, to force them to get vaccinated and we see the level of fear that's being put in pregnant women's minds about the risks they're running but when you look at the data when you look at the figures you get a completely different story this is a problem we're seeing all on, all across the government narrative it is not based on factual data it's not based on reasoned analysis it's based on fear and hype for reasons unrelated to anything uh, scientific or prudent um,
1: okay, right. Now, look, we're already running behind schedule here, David. So let's just uh, run very quickly through a couple of these. Here's the Sunday Mail. Uh, and of course, sticking with young people, uh, the, Sun, or sorry, the Scottish Mail rather, uh, saying jab all over fives to save schools because uh, we've got to.
2: Yeah, so this is another special advisor. This is very low grade. There's no, there's no evidence that we're not looking at the risks. We, we roll out a government paid advisor. The government paid advisor gives its bite. And this is in a front page um, headline uh, in this in a major Sunday newspaper. This is how the um, the papers are playing the game. There's huge amounts of advertising being placed. They are bought. They are paid for, and uh, they are cooperating obediently.
1: Um, but in the meantime, we've got uh, authors suggesting uh, that children shouldn't be uh, uh, pressured to do certain
2: things. Well, this is more and more people are speaking speaking up. People are speaking up, even though that they realise they're going to be attacked, um, and more more and more people are finding the courage to do so. So this is um, Ruffalo author Julia Donaldson, um, and she said forcing children to wear masks is dystopian. And there's been a lot of people speaking up. There's been articles in the Telegraph and other newspapers speaking against forcing children to wear masks and all the harm that it does. The, um, the the strength of feeling on this area is is growing daily, and the government narrative is weakening daily.
1: Uh, indeed. Okay. Well, look. Uh, good news, everyone. Good good news because there's uh, another week's <laughs> gone past, and there's a new variant, uh, or is it a new variant? We're not sure. Well, it looks like the Delta variant and the Omicron variant have been dallying together, and they've produced a the Delta Cron variant, uh, and this is doing the rounds in Cyprus, apparently. Uh, So we've got some uh, some breeding going on. Uh, It's fantastic stuff. Uh, uh, But uh, unfortunately, the scientist who claims to have found this new variant is being criticized by other scientists who are saying that, well, he wasn't really careful enough in the lab and and, uh, cross-contamination and all this kind of stuff. He's saying, no, 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 uh, it's real. Uh, So, well, you can make up your own minds about how real it is, uh, but uh, maybe that's the next one to be coming down the line. Uh, and, uh, well, David, uh, we're making pitches for COVID now.
2: Ah, no, this, the, the reason I picked this, um, this is from the American Journal. It's, uh, a satirical piece, which we'll, we'll play a clip from in a moment. I was wondering why there was so much, uh, ridicule uh, attempted to be pl- placed on anyone who opposed the government narrative, right? So they're called anti-vaxxers. Tony Blair says that you're an idiot, um, Uh, uh, what did uh, Boris say? It was uh, mumbo-jumbo. That was his phrase, right? So you're you're characterised in the mainstream media as stupid. And I'm thinking, oh, that's a a sort of strange uh, line for them to take. We know how much evidence we've got on our side. We know the nature of the arguments, most of them statistical. Uh, We know how many doctors and medics are supporting the the position, which is sceptical and, and, and wary of the government's position. Why are they choosing that? In part, it's the old, uh, the old thing of uh, you'll first ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they attack you, then you win. But um, I saw this and I thought no, there's something more to it. The government's position is laughable. The government's position is so weak and ridiculous um, that they're having to paint the other side as stupid simply because that deflects from how stupid the government looks. And I thought this next clip kind of showed it rather well.
5: Uh, Should I wear a mask? We know that masks don't really stop you from getting this type of infection. The the science is pretty much settled on this. Masks don't work. Okay, so no masks. Actually they're mandatory and also we're shutting down everything. Wait, what? Yeah, it's called lockdown. I'm basically declaring martial law and saying that you can't leave your house or gather in large groups. How do you think you're gonna get people to go along with this? Well, it's only for two weeks. It's gonna last forever, isn't it? Maybe. And you're shutting everything down? Everything, every restaurant, every store? Yep, absolutely everything. Everything's shut down, we're all in this together. So like even like Walmart and Target? No, they can stay open. Okay, What about like McDonald's or Taco Bell? (laughs) Obviously McDonald's and Taco Bell can stay open. Okay, so the big chain stores can stay open, but if a small business tries to stay open, we will send a tank and point a rifle in their face and maybe send them to jail. But it's only for two weeks or years or whatever. I mean, won't that crash the economy? Oh yeah, 100%, for sure. Okay, but this stops the virus. It does not, no. Okay, uh, other than masks that don't work and lockdowns that don't work, is there anything else you suggest that we do? Oh, I'm not suggesting anything. I'm I'm imposing plastic barriers and uh, social distancing as well. Okay, so those work. <laughs> no, of course not. It's ridiculous. Just think about it. But we do encourage contact tracing, where you download our app to your phone and then use it to log everywhere you go and everything you do and everyone you interact with. It sounds like a precursor to vaccine passport. No way. That's crazy. Hey, by the way, we sent a uh, investigative team to figure out the origins of the virus. Oh, so you're investigating the lab? No. Uh, okay, well, who are you sending to investigate? The guy who runs the lab. Yeah, this sounds suspicious. It's not. I mean, the whole thing sounds sketchy. Nothing you're saying really makes any sense. And it seems like the same people imposing the masks and lockdowns are the same people that are benefiting from it. And it seems like it's going to have way worse long-term effects than the virus itself. I mean, all of this seems arbitrary and expensive. Well, it's only until we get the vaccine. And, And actually, it's going to be a wonderful, revolutionary new mRNA vaccine. So, you know, thank God we have Bill Gates helping us with this. Uh, Bill Gates, isn't he the one who thinks the most pressing issue the earth faces is overpopulation and that the best way to reduce population is through vaccines? Didn't he give a TED Talk to that effect? No, shut up. He loves you.
2: (laughs) And that is the government's narrative. It's, I mean, it's, it's poking fun at it, but it's not misstating it. That's the government narrative. We can, we have tracked each piece of that video over the last two years as the information's come out. Um, so they have to be pointing and saying uh, that the opposition is literally stupid and not worth listening to. Because if anyone listens, they're going to be persuaded.
1: Yes. Okay. Well, that uh, brings us quickly on the Channel Four News. Uh, and uh, well, right, that, yes. Go ahead.
2: Do do well, I, I spotted this, and I was I was really stunned by it. But the thing that's really stunning uh, is is the date. It's it's from twenty nineteen. It's from the 9th of October, twenty nineteen. Yale history professor Timothy Schneider. Now, if you didn't know, and the fact that the only thing that if it, if this was about COVID, I don't think Channel Four would actually broadcast it. But if you didn't know you'd think he was talking about 2021, and the comments are extremely insightful.
6: The reason why we know fascism is possible is because it already happened once, and it happened in places that are not so distant from us, either in place, or in time. It's patently clear that some of the people who are involved in current politics are people who have learned from the 1920s and 1930s and are borrowing some of some of the tactics of the 1920s and 1930s.
0: What are the tactics you think that
6: are being borrowed? The fundamental tactic which has been borrowed is uh, a rhetorical one. So there, there's a notorious Manual to Propaganda, which was composed in a Munich prison beginning in 1924, which advises that what you should do in political propaganda is always find simple slogans and repeat them over and over again, with the effect of dividing your, your listeners into us and them. That has clearly been uh, revived as a tactic on both sides of the Atlantic. More more basically, the idea that politics is not about reasoned dispute towards constructive policy, but politics is, in fact, fundamentally about friends and enemies. That's a basic fascist idea, which was articulated uh, maybe most famously by Carl Schmitt. That has clearly returned as a tactic.
0: If, if what they are doing, though, is harnessing the
1: popular will of, of a majority, what's wrong with what they're
6: doing? I mean, the answer to your question is the essence of the tradition of Anglo-Saxon law, going back to the Magna Carta. There's a reason why we have law, and the reason why we have law is that law comes before the king, or in modern times law comes before the ruler, which means law comes before whatever momentary urges um, the ruler might say that he is embodying. So if we say whatever we think at this particular moment is what goes, that means we're saying goodbye to law, we're saying goodbye to predictability, we're saying goodbye to the basis of the system that, that we have.
2: And that's, that's COVID in 2021. The government's harnessing the popular will of the majority. And we are pointing out that this involves saying goodbye to the law and going into arbitrary rule. That's where we are.
0: Yes. And and I'll pause at that point because uh, the gentleman hit hit the spot, no question of that. Uh, well, what is the media doing? We've we've got the bigger media, we've got the BBC, we've got the bigger newspapers. Uh, but over the weekend, on Saturday, in fact, something happened that has never happened to me before, and that is I was contacted by a number of people about our local Plymouth paper, the Plymouth Herald. And a uh, very interesting headline, we'll bring it up on screen. Um, let's have a look. 80% of COVID-19 patients in Derriford haven't had a jab. And then there's a blurry picture of, a, in fact, a, a surgeon, um, a Royal Navy surgeon, it turns out to be, but a blurry photograph of him and his mask. Now, the first thing I noticed was that 40% of the front page is secondhand cars. And we're going to say roughly 60% is unsupported NHS comment because when you get inside the newspaper to have a look at what's going on, Um, what isn't there is detailed information, statistics and evidence. But let's just have a little look. And uh, when you open the page, this is what you're faced with. This is the uh, article. But how does the Plymouth Herald ram home uh, this article um, so that there's no question people understand what's going on? Well, let's hit the magic button. Because this is what you're faced with. So straight away, a full-page NHS advert get boosted now, and now we can see the context of the second one, where we've got this uh, Royal Navy officer who's giving literally his opinions. Because there's nothing, no evidence to back this up. This is simply opinion, Mike.
1: Yes, but the headline on the inside is really important. Up to 80 percent This is the. This is the. Uh, uh, you know. Women's wrinkle cream. Uh, up to statement there, it could be one percent is up to eighty percent of of zero percent is up to eighty percent. Right, so. So up to 75% of women agree that this wrinkle cream reduces wrinkles. So that's exactly the the type of uh, marketing we've got there.
0: Type of marketing, spot on, Mike. So let's go into the article. I've just pulled out some of the comments from this gentleman, Stuart Dixon. Interestingly enough, they don't actually say he's Royal Navy. They just say surgeon commander. So it's almost like they want to strip away the fact that this is a military man speaking. Will a military man criticise the government whilst he's still in post? I think it's very, very unlikely. But here's the uh, quote. It's not uncommon for unvaccinated patients to develop a sense of regret for the decisions they've made in the past not to be vaccinated. Recovery can be prolonged, going well beyond their time in hospital with rehabilitation over a number of months. Some patients are only now returning to normal activities nearly two years later. These are just statements, there's no factual uh, detail to support what this gentleman is saying. And he adds that at times, 80% of the Dereford patients were unvaccinated. So this uh, proves your analysis spot on, Mike, that of course the front page is, is hyped up to give maximum effect. Some individuals will be unlucky enough in the weeks ahead to need hospitalization, and, and intensive care as a result of COVID infection. We are seeing a dominance of unvaccinated within the intensive care environment, both locally and nationally. Oh, I find this one difficult because we've got some parts of the government trying to tell us that 90% of the country is vaccinated, but we'll leave that aside. And he goes on to say approximately 61% of patients in intensive care with a COVID infection nationally are not vaccinated. There have been times in the last month where that rate has been as high as 80% at Derriford Hospital. So this this is a word soup around what's actually happening. Vaccination remains the key intervention which reduces the risk of both hospitalizations and admissions to the intensive care unit. So are we to believe this uh, gentleman? Well, he may believe what he says. I'm sure he does because he's going to believe everything that the government tells him. But let's have a look at this little video clip where another NHS professional was not so sure.
7: What do you you think of the, the new rule to require vaccination of all NHS staff? I'm not happy about that. So. You're not happy about it. Tell no. me. So I've had Covid at some point. Yes. Uh, I've got antibodies. Yep. Um, I've been working on Covid ITU since the beginning. Yep. I have not had a vaccination. I did not want to have a vaccination. Um, uh, the vaccine's reducing transmission only for about 8 weeks yep. with Delta. With Omicron it's probably less. Yep. And for that I would be dismissed if I don't yep. have a vaccine. It's not The science isn't strong enough. That's yeah, your view. And, and and your views. Do you have uh, a view on that? I, that? I respect that, but there's a, there's also many yeah, are I agree the, different views. Yeah, other views, yeah. But yeah.
6: And there's yeah. another colleague
7: yeah. who's who's also in the same position. Yeah, yeah. No, I understand that, and obviously we have to weigh all that up for both health and social care, and there, there will always be a, a debate about it. But it's what, a, maybe yeah. there's an opportunity to reconsider with Omicron and the changing picture or at least to nuance it and allow doctors who've had antibody exposure, who've got antibodies, who haven't had the vaccination, to not have it because the protection I've got from transmission is probably equivalent to someone who's vaccinated. Yeah, but at some point that will wane as well. But if you want to provide protection with a booster, you'd have to inject everybody every month. If it's worn off by two months, yeah, if if the protection's worn off the transmission after two months, Yeah then after a month, you've still got a bit of protection. Yeah. So if you want to maintain protection, you're going to need to boost all staff members every single month, which you're not going to do. No, we, uh, we take advice on, on when, when, how much you yeah. made. You but it's made not going to achieve yeah. a practical benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we take the very best advice that we can. I understand. But yeah. you're from from the people that are vaccine experts. experts.
1: From the people that are vaccine experts, in other words, shut up! You're not a vaccine expert.
0: Outrageous! What he dismisses him first of all by saying your opinion. Well, it isn't just an opinion because it's qualified medical opinion that 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 uh, that man is passing, and that's the first brush off. And then he attempts the brush off by saying, well, of course you're not really an expert. Go away. Nevertheless, what we can see on screen is the fact that qualified. NHS professionals are, qualif- are questioning the policy. But of course, this is not being debated in, in, the, in TV and it's not being debated uh, through the press.
1: Uh, what had me in stitches about it was that the doctor was saying what he said. Javid then turned round to the uh, to the nurses and uh, look, almost hoping that they were going He's to gonna give pipe up some and support. give him some support, and he got nothing. So, so he he, uh, he then had to continue the conversation with the doctor. Yeah, it, it's clear. I mean, I don't know whether the three nurses were were vaccinated or not, but it's clear that there's uh, uh, very little support for this policy.
0: I think if you watch the nurses carefully, or you watch the clip carefully, you'll you'll see in the beginning that the nurses. I think, want to say, no, we don't agree, but they're too frightened. But let's come back to the Herald, because how did the Herald work to get its message across? Well, what we found as we dug into the paper was yet another four-page advert. And this is the particularly unpleasant one from the NHS, where it's saying that if you haven't got fresh air, the air around you is full of these horrible black particles and anybody breathing them in is going to become sick. This is a sort of play on the plague. Um, What was the story? Uh, Well, actually, this one was quite a good story because it was about a very good charity in Plymouth that's doing a lot of good work with the homeless. But I was fascinated the full-page advert didn't really have the punch it could have had, but the punch article came a few pages later where we've got another full-page article with a local MP uh, here, and he's saying that he wants to get air purifiers in all city schools. David, I'm just going to ask you to listen to this bit uh, carefully. I've got some statements from this MP, Luke Pollard, and there's a few things which uh, I don't think tie up I'll ask you about. So he said, education is precious. Children in Plymouth cannot afford to miss any more school due to outbreaks of COVID. COVID. Uh, That's why I want to see a plan from ministers for accelerating the slow pace of vaccination of children for more ventilation for classrooms and more mass testing in school. So no messing around with this man. He's on about ventilation, but really he wants to get the children vaccinated. But then it goes on. Ventilation has been proved to slow down the spread of COVID. With rates of Omicron, uh, Omicron surging, we need air purifiers in every school, in every classroom, so every child in Plymouth has the chance to learn. So David, uh, as, a, as an engineer, the question is ventilation, but he's talking about ventilation, but now he wants air purification. The two are not the same. The two are not the same.
2: Um, ventilation in a cold, damp, winter British climate is not necessarily the same. It's not just a matter of opening a window, uh, that can have negative effects as well as positive effects. Um, air purifiers, what, that, that scrub out virus particles? Really? This is news to me. Is he just making this up on his, as he goes along? I mean, we, we're normally taking out things like pollen with air purifiers, uh, which are much, much larger particles. Um, maybe 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 pollution, um, maybe hydrocarbons, but... I I find this um, very surprising. It seems unrelated to anything that I've seen in the literature uh, at all. Did you just make it up?
0: Uh, Yeah, it's being made up. We're not seeing the evidence. So uh, have a look at this one because is Luke Pollard well informed? Well, maybe he's not because the Evening Standard here says very clearly in this article, no sign of a surge in severe Omicron cases and deaths, according to Uh, a professor, Spiegel Halter. Um, So the minimum we can say is debate is needed. But if we summarise the Herald article, we've got no detailed statistical evidence to support its claim. We've got no interviews with affected Derriford patients. We've got no professional medical counter narrative or comment. We've got no interviews with people who regret having had the vaccination. And there are many of those people. So we're going to say we think this is very, very poor reporting by the Herald, and it is challenging. But it gets worse because if we head to what's called Herald Opinion, uh, it says this: "Is it time to make love, sorry, to make life tough for the unjabbed?" And if we take a few excerpts out of that, the argument given by many who oppose the COVID nineteen vaccination is that uh, it's a minor illness that does not uh, justify interfering with the body's natural immunity. And it goes on to say, yet despite drop in vaccination, sorry, yet despite drop in vaccination clinics being readily available, there are still those who remain steadfastly opposed to vaccination. Perhaps it's time for the UK to follow the lead of many European countries that are making it difficult for the unvaccinated to lead normal lives. And the killer part is the end of this particular statement, which I would regard as an editorial but it's difficult to tell. While it may go against our belief in democracy, so do the restrictions on our liberty that everyone has been forced to accept over the past two years. So Mike, this seems to me that basically we've got a journalist, nameless, who is simply saying that, uh, well, yeah, we've gone past democracy. Does this tie in with your man speaking about the rise of fascism, David?
2: Uh, I think it. I think it does. I'm just checking on the uh, um, the air purification question. Indeed, there are clean air uh, purifiers um, um, that are on the market for medical uses uh, that claim to remove allergens, uh, bacteria, and viruses um, from the air, and uh, they're they're trusted by businesses globally, including the NHS, the MOD, uh, and uh, UBS Bank. So. That's actually quite interesting.
0: Okay, and uh, we'll just end on this because this is this particular edition of the newspaper. I think why so many people were just amazed at what was actually printed. Uh, This is more of the fear because now we're on to bird flu. And uh, we've got another full page article, retired rail worker first to get bird flu strain. This is clearly about ramping up fear. But what's tragic about this article is if you look at the real story, it is this. We'll do it in a few bullet points. Uh, This gentleman, Alan Gosling, uh, apparently he he has got bird flu. This is what tests have have, uh, shown. But he's not unwell. He doesn't feel unwell. He doesn't feel poorly, to use the description in the article. But he's still in forced isolation. His health questions have not been answered, so he's a very worried, puzzled man at the moment because he's been he's been completely closed down in forced isolation. Uh, what have they done? Well, they've killed all 160 of his ducks. Uh, they've killed his budgies and his cockatoo, and he's now in a position where he says that his life has been destroyed, and he feels a he feels he's living a nightmare in a morgue as he looks at all the empty. Uh, cages for his budgies. So this is brutal treatment by agents of the government based on what evidence that this uh, flu is dangerous. And uh, if you attempt to find out who makes the Herald opinion, well, is it the Herald print editor? We're not sure. Is it the regional editor? We're not sure. Or is it Reach PLC that uh, owns the overall Herald brand, we're not sure. It's very difficult to tell. So it's all become a little bit opaque. <laughs> yeah,
1: indeed. Uh, okay, if you like what the UK Column does, and you would like to support us, uh, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community. There are options to help us out there. Uh, and as we've said recently, if uh, if you are watching UK Column for free, and you would like to uh, uh, support us, we do need that financial support. Uh, so that would be very much appreciated. Uh, also share our material on the various platforms that we're still on, uh, and just another quick reminder that hoodies are still available, plus other items on the shop if you're interested in supporting us that way as well.
0: OK, Uh big thank you to the viewers that uh, flagged up this story. Uh, they sent it in because it's simply so unpleasant. This is The Guardian, why pruning friends has been so common during the pandemic. Pruning is usually a technique applied to roses in winter. But more recently, the gardening term has been cropping up whenever sociologists talk about our social lives. People have, quote, been pruning friends. I encourage you to read this truly despicable article. And at the end of it, the uh, last paragraph is this one. Uh, It it eventually talks about a particular um, contact in Australia. It says, Melbourne-based Cynthia... Hadn't really met anyone new over the last couple of years, but she recently struck up a conversation with a stranger at the local cafe and liked them immediately. At first, she tried to play it cool, but eventually she figured, F -F it, I invited them over for a barbecue. Nothing beats a new friend crush, and it's been a while. So what the article is really about is the complete breakdown of uh, relationships and society as a result of lockdown but The Guardian turns it into a quasi-scientific uh, nothingness, I think. I was just uh, this uh, slightly out of order, but uh, this was also the uh, Evening Herald, Mike, and apparently um, Tom Daly, the Olympic uh, diver, has brought out a knitting line, uh, which he's uh, promoting here, but I don't think we're going to have much uh, competition for the UK column hoodies.
1: Uh, no. Okay. Uh, let's... Uh... Let's see where are we? Um, is this Kitty Joe now at last? If I can welcome you back to the program, Katie Joe. Um,
3: Hi,
4: thank you.
1: Uh, it's great
4: right.
1: to be on UK. Okay, th- well, it's great to have you on. So uh, uh, we're starting uh, with the Guardian here, and uh, plans for fifty percent funding cut to arts subject uh, subjects at universities catastrophic.
4: Yeah, absolutely. It's I mean, uh, his quote, so Gavin Williamson's quote was, he believes his recommendation to reprioritise money away from the arts towards STEM, medicine and healthcare subjects is justified to support government's priorities. Um, And I think we can safely um, replace the word priorities with the word agenda. Um, You know, if we look at the uh, the um, Cyber campaign, Cyber First campaign, that used this photo of a young, talented and beautiful uh, aspiring dancer from Atlanta uh, called Desiree um, with dreams of attending college and studying dance. Um, Both Desiree and the photographer Chris Alex, who took the photo, um, were shocked and extremely hurt uh, by the way the photo was used. Um, Desiree said, um, I can remember growing up hearing uh, dance is an art. It's it's not a career, just a hobby. And the UK campaign took me right back uh, to that place mentally, which was a bit scary. Um, Back to being about 11 or 12 and feeling like I had to be someone I wasn't and suppress my creative energy to satisfy what others saw as productive lives. Um, This campaign not only featured uh, a ballet dancer, but other careers, all careers, it seems that the government consider as irrelevant. Um, never mind the fact that it takes unbelievable dedication, blood, sweat, and tears um, to, to, to make it as a dancer. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's, there's that photo of uh, Fatima could keep, teach you a thing or two about hard work. Um, and I just absolutely love the British sense of humor. So I had to, uh, Add in the, the memes that had been created um, that featured Dominic Cummings and, uh, and our, our, our uh, Prime Minister, Boris. Um, and actually, it was Dominic Cummings' antics that woke one of my friends up um, when he decided to take that, that trip. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to him for actually doing that. Um, but I mean, how dare they be so insolent as uh, you know, to, 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 to say that to those of us that have dedicated our lives to the arts? Um, Kitty Katie, Katie
1: Joe, if I could just interrupt a second, if we just put Dominic back up on screen here. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, well, Dom's next job could be castle tour guide. But just in the bottom <laughs> left, uh, in each of those images that we showed there, uh, um, rethink, reskill, uh, reboot from HM. Reboot, yeah. Yes, and it's the cyber uh, I think this. Yes, but this echoes what David was saying a few minutes ago about uh, from that Channel Four clip about 1930s. 1920s, 1930s style propaganda, doesn't it?
4: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's all about the propaganda. Um, and it's all about getting people to, to retrain and rethink, um, because there's an agenda here, clearly. There's an agenda, Um, and, you know, when you look at the people uh, like myself that have, um, you know, we literally feel like we've been, we were born to perform. It's something that you, it's a passion that's runs so deep. You can't just ask these people to retrain. Um, And, you know, it breaks my heart to think actually what the future's like for those of us, especially my young daughter who wants to be um, a performer. Um, For those that that aren't going to conform and aren't going to comply, I don't know what the future looks like for them in the um, entertainment industry. Um, You know, my husband, who's a fantastic choreographer, had an audition recently where um, it was just one of the most awful experiences of his life. He went along. The first thing he was asked for was his mask. Where's your mask? He said he was mask exempt. Um, and they said, okay, well, just pop a visor on your head for now. Um, but it's not our policy, you know, everybody needs to wear us. And this, bearing in mind, this audition took place when restric- restrictions were at their most relaxed. Um, he was then taken into a room and um, where he thought actually it was going to be a do-it-yourself lateral flow test. Um, but he was uh, he was met with a five-person testing team. Um, had the test, then put into another room while they were waiting for the results. Um, They came back negative. So lucky for him, he got an end sticker, which he was advised to wear throughout the whole audition. Um, Then the first assistant director came up to him and said, where's your proof of mask exemption? Um, He said that he had the government websites one, um, but that wasn't enough. They wanted... Um, a medical letter of mask exemption, uh, which he replied and said, you know, doctors aren't giving those out. So the first AD said he was going to have to ring head office and speak to them. So as the, as the visor wasn't enough. So yeah, they had a chat, um, decided that he could carry on with the audition because actually at the beginning part of the audition, they were all standing on X's anyway and socially distanced. Um, And and my my husband said it was just the most surreal thing to be in a creative audition with um, everybody in masks. I mean, I don't know how you can see (laughs) how people are acting when you can only see their eyes, Um, but it it was the second half of the audition that was the icing on the cake actually. Um, It it, it required them to, um, to, for the auditionees to do some improvisation around a table. And Tom was given his own table across the other side of the room, um, whilst the others all huddled around uh, a table together. Um, He just felt like an absolute leper and knew at that point that there was just no way he was going to be cast, you know, in this show. and you know, he, he went from the audition straight to the pub <laughs> for a pint. And it was like stepping into a, a, a totally different world. You know, nobody was in masks, everybody was hugging and, you know, feel you know, packed into this pub. And it just goes to show that, you know, there are companies that are taking the, the you know, the policies and they're, they're in, you know, forcing them their own. Uh, a little bit like local independent shops, um, I've I've kind of uh, found that local independent shops um, are enforcing masks, even though some people have exemptions. You know, they're, they're they're not happy. And a friend of mine recently, it's caught on camera, was in a shop, um, said she was mask exempt. He wasn't happy with that, and he actually called the police on her and said, "Oh, uh, police, I've got uh, I've got an anti-vaxer in my shop." and she she hadn't even mentioned vaccines she just said I'm, I'm mask exempt um so yeah it kind of leaves us with with uh with wondering what what the what the future is going to be like for artists um, Katie, in the business
0: Katie can can I ask you is this um obviously it's increasing uh, what you're describing the lockdown on performing arts is increasing or has increased over the last 18 months were you seeing anything that you were concerned about before, or is it just in the COVID period that you oh, suddenly? Oh no, seen? no, not
4: at all. No, I think I think this has been going on for a long time. Um, especially uh, the woke agenda is a part of this. Yeah. Um, the curtailing of free speech um, is is t- destroying creativity. Um, I don't know about you, but I I want my entertainment to be fearlessly free thinking, and I want it to push boundaries, and I want there to be a wide range of views. You know, um, it's just crazy. I mean, if you don't like something, you turn it off, don't you? You know, we've all got the power to turn the telly off or scroll past it, if it's not your cup of tea. Um, So, and I think that anyone um, that has a controversial opinion, um, or an idea that would go against political correctness, um, is in danger of being ostracised, um, and you know from the business, and that's all. It's you know it's always been that way, um, and you know you get called all the names under the sun now, like homophobic, xenophobic, racist. I mean, like probably a lot of your viewers just having the opinions and, and, and questioning the the pandemic, you know, puts you into that that category now. Okay, so um, so
0: last last question, if I may, what what would you like to see performers doing? if they're if they're what, experiencing well, these things, what would you encourage performing arts, people involved in the performing arts to do?
4: To do what I've done, make stand, stand up, don't don't comply. And I think the future is that we create our own. We create our own entertainment, um, which is, ex- you know, we create our own news. We get exactly what you guys have done here at UK Column. It's time, I think, to step away from the lame stream, step away from from that world
0: and create our own world. Yeah. Excellent. Okay.
1: Thank well, you very. Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, look. Uh, let's just quickly move on then to uh, to, to digital identity, uh, because uh, lots going on here. The Home Office uh, and the Disclosure and Barring Service are working with the uh, Department for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport uh, to develop the proposals for new legislation, which is going to establish a UK. Digital Identity and Attributes Trust Framework. Now, we talked about this a couple of times last year. Uh, I think it was April, uh, February, in fact, it was uh, last year that the Trust Framework was initially launched and then there was uh, a subsequent round of, uh, of uh, movement on it in September or so. Uh, but this framework is there to set the rules and the standards for organizations to follow in order to carry out secure, trustworthy, and consistent digital identity checks. So basically, if you're going for a job uh, or whatever, uh, your identity has to be confirmed, whatever scenario it is that your identity has to be confirmed, third-party companies are going to be providing that service. Uh, So let's just have a quick look at this. Uh, There'll be a data management policy as part of this framework, which explains how the third-party companies create, obtain, disclose, protect, and delete data. Uh, It's going to follow industry standards and best practice for information security and encryption. Uh, And these are their claims, uh, and it's going to tell the users if any changes, for example, an update to their address have been made to their digital identity. And if you remember, uh, Matt Warman, who was the the Minister for Digital Infrastructure uh, in February last year, said uh, it has become increasingly important in this digital age to be able to establish trust, particularly online, Uh, He said there are times in day-to-day life when you may be asked to prove something about yourself to access a service or product. Having an agreed digital identity that you can use easily and universally will be the cornerstone of future economies. And of course, what we're talking about here, uh, it shouldn't be uh, too much of a stretch for people to recognize that uh, uh, COVID passports, COVID certification, whatever you want to call it, is part and parcel of this. Um, so here's uh, some of the what the government was saying about it at the time. You're going to have attributes attached to you. So one type of digital identity which could be developed under the trust framework is similar to a wallet but created securely on your device. It lets you store various trusted pieces of information about yourself. We call these pieces of personal information attributes and you can choose when and with whom you share them but probably never your whole wallet of information. Uh, this could include disclosing details from the government such as your legal name uh, date of birth right to reside to work or to study as well as details from other organizations such as your professional qualifications and employment history so this is a very key point because it's being presented uh, in the government press releases uh, as uh, you know jointly between the home office the dbs as a disclosure and barring service and the D- department of culture digital culture media and sport as being something to Uh, permit or to to allow uh, immigrants to prove their right to work in this country or immigrants to prove their right to rent accommodation. But in fact, it's much broader than this. Uh, So where does it take us? Well, here is one organization that's involved in this. uh, And and, uh, they are uh, talking about or they are working uh, with another organization called EcoSpend here. uh, And they're working with HMRC. So they have created an open banking attribute, one of the attributes that, that goes in your in your wallet uh, which proves your identity. Um, so this is Yoti, uh, the, the digital UK, sorry the UK digital identity firm Yoti. They're partnering with what they call next generation pay- payments and data company, to offer open banking attribute and payment capabilities. Uh, and who's using this? Well the likes of HMRC and so on. Um, but it's not going to end there either, is it? Because of course, in, alongside this, we have uh, uh, the central banks building their central uh, bank digital currencies, uh, and uh, not just retail, but wholesale, wholesale money being, money in inverted commas, it's not really money being inverted, uh, uh, being invented by the uh, central banks here. Uh, this will be linked to these types of identity documents as well. Um, so that's where we are with this. Now, What's interesting is that uh, uh, companies, that, uh, these private companies are going to be uh, allowed to um, apply for accreditation from the government as from some point this year, this month. Uh, the actual date that that opens uh, hasn't been released yet, but at uh, some point this month uh, they will be doing that. Um, so just to end this, in Switzerland last year in August, I think it was, uh, voters Throughout the law, that the, a law that the government was pr- uh, proposing uh, to build a digital, an electronic digital identity system of this type, um, I think perhaps we might like to consider uh, encouraging the government not to press ahead with this as well.
0: We 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 certainly do. Uh, at the end of the day, the uh, the money system controlled by totally unaccountable private banks is is what is really behind this Bank of International Settlements being a. Uh, the lead.
1: Yes, absolutely. And uh, if you want to see what we've written about this in the past, uh, and we have written quite a few articles on it, this is uh, Martin Edwards from 2017. Mark of the Beast, Digital Identity and the Cashless Cartel. Uh, Here's one from Bernice Bartels. Uh, The Race is On, Uh, A New Digital Financial Identity for Every Global Citizen. Another one from Bernice uh, called Entry Point. Uh, and also from Vanessa Bailey here, COVID-19, the big pharma players behind UK government lockdown, where she goes into a lot of detail about how COVID-19 has been used to drive this agenda forward. Yeah. Um, okay. Where does that take us? Uh, Kazakhstan. Uh, and uh, well, I just wanted to highlight, because I mean, the, the question uh, on Friday's program was, um, what interference from external sources uh, has the uh, has Kazakhstan had, uh, and how much of uh, how many of these kind of NGOs have been there to, to sort of push forward the uh, the opposition and the protests and so on? Uh, well, here is the uh, National Endowment for Democracy. Uh, just having a look at their awarded grants search, uh, and well, what do we find? Well, they've been putting money into things like uh, supporting independent media, encouraging public participation. Uh, What else have we got uh, on further on down the list? Uh, Promoting and defending media freedom, uh, promoting and defending civil society, uh, independent video news uh, discussion and commentary. So they've been pushing money in for media development uh, and for civil society projects, not just them, uh, open society foundations as well. Now they don't publish uh, their grants in the same way that the National Endowment for Democracy does, but uh, they do have this uh, blog from August last year, the Open Society Foundations in Kazakhstan. And it's absolutely worth having a look at. Uh, David, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on, uh, on the Kazakhstan situation.
2: Um, I'm probably not the best one to answer that one. I know I've, I've spoken about it with Alex and he has many thoughts, many of them quite fascinating about the Kazakhstan situation. So perhaps Wednesday would be the time to explore that uh, with someone more knowledgeable.
1: Okay, and uh, well, let's come on to uh, the NATO foreign ministers meeting that was taking place on Thursday, uh, sorry, Friday last week. And here's uh, Liz Truss. uh, And uh, well, she's right on message. Uh, Russia's military uh, buildup on the borders of Ukraine and in illegally annexed Crimea is unacceptable. Uh, There's no justification for its aggressive and unprovoked stance towards Ukraine. Uh, We're clear that any Russian incursion would be a massive strategic mistake for which there would be a severe cost. Uh, The Russian government needs to de-escalate, pursue diplomatic channels, and abide by its commitments on the transparency of military activities. Uh, Jens Stoltenberg, of course, the head of NATO, uh, had this to say, uh, Russia's aggressive actions seriously undermine the security order uh, in Europe. Uh, NATO remains committed to our dual track approach to Russia: strong deterrence and defense, combined with meaningful dialogue. And David, I just wanted to draw parallels with that statement. NATO remains committed to our dual track approach on Russia: strong deterrence uh, on, on defense combined with meaningful dialogue and suggests that there may be parallels with another terrorist organization that we uh, came into contact in the last 40 or 50 years. Uh, and that of course is uh, Sinn Féin IRA, who had the bomb in the ballot box policy. And it seems like, uh, uh, you know, Sinn Féin and IRA, uh, well, they, set their, their weapons down. Is NATO going to do the same, do you think?
2: I I think that's spectacular. That has to be one of my takeaway moments from working in the UK column. The moment when, when Mike equated Sinn Fein IRA <laughs> and NATO and did it so convincingly. That was spectacular. I just I want to firstly thank you for that comment. Um, now um I I <sighs> The 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 issues we're seeing here is there seems to be a constant attempt to provoke. I suppose this, this actually backs, your, backs up your point here, because part of the Sinn Fein IRA terror strategy was to provoke a response in the British states. The, the bigger the response, the bigger the support they would get. The more it destabilised. Uh, Northern Ireland the more it it advanced towards their goal. What's NATO doing with Russia? Um, We're saying that Ukraine, which has got an ongoing ongoing border dispute and a claim for the Crimea, which Russia also claims and occupies and is full of Russians and was Russian until the 1950s Uh, since 18... No, 1700s, wasn't it? Catherine the Great took the Crimea. Anyway, um, so, we've got that, that constant pressure, plus uh, so, so, uh, Sweden and Finland now are saying they're closer than ever to joining NATO. So, all of this is hemming Russia in to try and provoke some sort of violent response. You make a good point, Mike. There, there are similarities between Sinn Fein IRA policy in the 1970s and current NATO policy towards Russia. You've convinced me.
0: What are your thoughts? Well, I'm going to agree with a comment in the chat box, which simply said the problem is the governments are the terrorists at the moment. And I think as far as the West is concerned at the moment, that's very true.
1: Yes. Um, right. Okay. Well, actually we did manage to get through it in the end. So uh, uh, we've got a, a final slide here, uh, David, and I thought this was quite spectacular. Just, oh, sorry, so you want to, you want yeah, to do just, yeah. so
2: just, just before we do the final slide, uh, we started with a song. Right, with Katie Jo. I've got another song which was sent to me, which we were too busy before the, the holidays to do anything with. It's called, Don't Watch the BBC. Um, it, it, the first line is, don't watch the BBC, watch UK column news. It's wonderful. Um, the person that sent, to, sent it, thank you very much. Uh, but we need to make a video out of it. So uh, if who's if, if watching, uh, including Katie, uh, you, if you could send a, a photograph to David at from a from a march or a protest or some act of defiance of the government narrative that you've seen or been involved with, uh, we'll will assemble those together and we'll use that as the the background to the song and we'll try and get that out for for next week. If you could do that, that would be lovely. Um, On to the final slide. Yes, this is I just love this one. Uh, so here we got the, the the COVID Supremo, the the king of the figures, the, the the man who knows the numbers, Neil Ferguson, and he's he's wishing uh, Princess Kate a happy birthday. Uh, she's forty thousand years old today. Isn't that good?
1: Uh, for for those outside the UK that aren't quite aware, uh, Kate, uh, Princess Kate, as she is called in that particular uh, graphic. Uh, is was 40 years old, uh, not 40,000. So, so there
0: we go. Do you mean he made an error? Let's just, <laughs> He's he he made an he, error. He's
2: out, he's, he's, he's out <laughs> by a factor of a thousand uh, <laughs> again. Uh, again, <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, indeed. Okay. Well, look,
1: uh, I'd like to say thank you very much to Kitty Joe Murphy for joining us today. Uh, have you got any final thoughts, Kitty Joe?
4: Um, any final thoughts? Um, just just keep going, guys. Just keep, uh, keep, stay true to yourself and um, don't be bullied.
1: Well, I think we would.
0: We won't be bullied. We totally agree <laughs> with that. I'd, I'll just add that as I listen to your digital identity segment there, Mike, uh, if, if you see a government rolling in digital identities, it makes sense that you want to uh, crush interaction between people which is of course what performing arts are all about people relating to each other so we see in that digital I- I- identity there are the roots of why they would want to push down on normal relationships and fun between people just leave that as a throwaway comment okay we'll say thank you to everybody for joining us uh, thank you to everyone who's supporting the UK column if you're not already a subscriber please consider taking out a subscription we can only do what we do with your help and the agenda this year is to expand for which we need your help thanks very much
1: uh, we'll be back in a couple of minutes on the main live stream with some extra and otherwise 1pm as usual on wednesday
0: yeah thank you Bye bye, bye.
1: bye.